Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Woolley. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be presenting Vincent's selection for this stop on the mission. And he has jumped back into, again, his favorite cinematic decade of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Right to the beginning of the 70s, actually. Right to the beginning. And, and well, we can argue whether or not this feels like a 70s. Because it's right at the beginning of the 70s. It is very much at the beginning of mm-hmm. the 70s, 1970s. The Liberation of L.B. Jones. Yes. That's going to be the film that we reviewed tonight as we stream live via StreamYard to Facebook as well as YouTube. Good evening to all of you. Good evening, Vincent. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. I'm cool, chilling, maxing, and relaxing. You look relaxed. Yeah, well, you know. All right, so before we get into uh, the proceedings, ladies and gentlemen, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you that were able to make it out to City Winery this past Saturday. Yes, yes, yes. Incident Eyes held a live podcast and a screening of The Outside Story. Um, It was a nice, it was a very nice. It was, it was very nice. Shout out to the City Winery. Um, They were a top-notch I like it. Who was telling me uh, they never liked cauliflower until they got to City Winery? Yeah, and they had some cauliflower. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether or not the red wine following anything <laughs> to do with it, but they love the ca- cauliflower at City Winery. Wine tends to make everything taste better. I I found that to be true. And shout out to, like I said, everyone that that came out. And if you were there and I missed it, I apologize. But definitely want to give a special nod to. Michelle Missionary Sharon Eldridge. Hey, Sharon, in real life. In real time. Mm-hmm. There, um, with, and she actually brought friends with her. Mm, yes, she did. Yes, she did. To the mission, so that was pretty dope. It was kind of cool, Vince. When I came into City Winery for the event, mm-hmm. um, there was a gentleman who was walking in in front of me. We came through the door in front of me. So he was standing in front of me because I had to get some information. Sure. And... I saw off, off my peripheral uh, Sharon, but I didn't know it was Sharon. Right. Stand up right. from like across the, the room and start coming walking towards me. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, this must be like the the rep that I was supposed to be right. looking right. for. Or it's about to go down. Or yes. Yeah. Uh, or it's about to go down. But um, as she gets up closer, she says, Len, I was like, Yes. And I'm thinking, I was like, Helen, the first time I'm supposed to be. Right, 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 right. Sharon Eldridge. I was like, because she took down her mask. She had a face mask. Right, right. Of course. And I was like, Sharon, oh my God. And then she started to go reaching for the guy that was in front of me. Vincent? I was like, no, that's not. Right, right, not. No. That's not Vincent. No, not yet. Vincent is the stunt double. (laughs) Stunt double. Yeah, no, no. It wasn't wasn't Vincent. But it was really cool. Appropriately enough, since he shows up in here you ever think about the stunt man for lee major's character on the fall guy like you wonder what he's like like the fall guy is a whole tv show about stunt men yes and how they don't aren't really acknowledged Mm -hmm. but then the star of the fall guy lee majors yes would have to have his own stunt man well yes I just like like I wondered what that was like like what 
What's his life like that I'm on a show that celebrates the unsung heroes of Hollywood, but I myself am unsung because the person depicting my job isn't doing his own stunts. I'm doing the stunts for him. Well, think about it. Think, see, I don't ever think about that. That's interesting. That is an interesting. Certainly you've thought about that. I can't be the only person who's thought about the fall guy's fall guy. Well, considering that a couple of minutes ago was the past, yes, Vincent, I have sometimes <laughs> you, in the past you thought, thought about, about this. The fall guy's fall guy. Right, right. right. better now? I do. I do. <laughs> I do feel better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do, what I have thought about, okay, you know, and perhaps you have shared this thought, okay, was stars who have, you know, the glamour of being big action stars right or big fighters right and then cut their stunt double comes in and actually does the heavy work right you know what i mean now i've thought about that because you can as as opposed to a lot of you know uh asian artists like jackie chan or bruce lee right 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 where you can see they do the majority of their Stunts. Jackie Chan famously did all of his stunts. Sure, sure. Uh, but they they do the majority of their f- stunts and their fights probably up until a point where insurance says no, you're not doing this. Sure, right? Sure. However, cut to a Sylvester Stallone movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and even as much as we have championed him, Wesley Snipes movie. You can see the stunt person coming in and doing the real heavy lifting they're the real fighter they're the person that should actually have the acclaim of being this big action star sure 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 especially since it's an action movie Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and especially when you consider you know and and i gotta give them props for this somebody like tom cruise five foot nothing of tom cruise right does all his own stunts. It is as much as insurance allows. As much as insurance allows. Right, allowed. because as you said, there there does come a point mm-hmm. where insurance steps in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so like to me, like as much as like people want to cape for Sly and Arnold, and yeah, they were cool. Right. I got to give more props to, to people like Tom Cruise. Right, right, right. Know? So that's what I thought. Right. You never know where the conversation look, will take Look, you. man. I, I'm not even going to start about. I was trying to remember. Was that Lee Majors who sang the theme song to the Fall Guy? He did, right? He did. He he famously did sing the the because he saw himself like the the Fall Guy, which was his follow up to the Six Million Dollar Man. Yes, but the Fall Guy, while the Six Million Dollar Man, he was cast in that. Yeah, the Fall Guy that was a Lee Majors production. That, that was his baby. <laughs> that was that was baby. his baby. He bust into his agent's office. He said, "Sal, I got a pitch for you." I mean, he said, "I got a pitch. I got the project. Make this happen, right? Right? Because I'm Lee Majors. I'm Lee Majors. Right? Right? Damn it. Right? <laughs> and I want to be. The I wonder if he was a producer on the Bionic Woman." It seems like he would have been a producer. You, it you, seems like he would have got a cut of that. You would think that he would have finagled his way to get a cut of that. However, he probably finagled his way to get a cut of the $6 million man, right? Sure. I mean, maybe. 
well, had he really done anything before that? Like, I know he was on no. one of those cowboys. He, no. he, he, he was on. He was on uh, like one of the cowboy shows. I thought. Yeah, one of the, one of the, or the one Western of the shows. westerns. Yeah, but he wasn't like the man. Right, right. And I know the that the six million dollar man is what he. That's that was his. That was that's what made him a song. Right. So he may not have gotten a producer credit unless he no probably in later years. in later years yeah. probably like in the in the and like the last two years. Well, they say and slow down. How many years was it on? I think it was on about a good five. There's no way the six million dollar man was on five years. You don't think it was on five years? I, I honestly don't. I, think, I, I thought it was three. Oh, no, it was more than three. I was going to go with three. It was more than three. It may have only been four, but I somehow think... You you are correct, sir. It was five years. From 1973 to 1978, five seasons. Yeah. Yeah. There are 100 episodes of mm-hmm. The $6 Million Dollar Man and six TV movies. Yeah. Now... How long did the Bionic Woman? Now that only ran for two years. That was only two years. Mm-hmm. Seventy-six to seventy-eight. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I would have sworn that ran for longer because she actually won an Emmy Award for the Bionic Woman. She won an Emmy Woman. She won an Emmy Award. Lindsay Wagner. We didn't plan any of this, but this is all very fast. Amazingly <laughs> interesting to me. Yeah, there's no way I thought the Bionic Woman ran longer than three. I can't believe the Bionic Man ran five years. Yeah, I said, yeah, because I am shocked because it Lizzie, ran that Lizzie long. Wagner probably doesn't, now it makes sense. She doesn't get talk of her spinoff until after his third year. She's not introduced until the second year. Right. And then, you know, the 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 fan response is so great that they have to bring her back. I think they bring her back for a couple of episodes in the third year. I did not. I, I don't think I knew this. I don't I don't think I was aware of the slow rollout. Yeah. yeah of yeah. the bond. And I think like maybe like if she shows up two or three times in that third year, whatever that last uh, appearance is, is basically the, the know, pilot, the pilot. Yeah. For the bionic. Man. Yeah. I was so young when the bionic yeah. man and 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 the six million dollar man was on. A lot of my memories are from reruns. No, I feel you. So. So I, I do remember being, you know, in, in my mind, the $6 million man is the greatest disappointment from credits to actual show in the history of television. You mean in, in like, how? like the credits raise your expectations. Okay. Okay. So much. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the show, the show is amazingly pedestrian. It is. Well, I mean, that's what happens. Man. Yeah. But think of how many, I can then take this to animation. Right. How many animation credits look bonkers, bananas, and then you get to the show and it's like, womp, womp. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But, but you know. Oh, and the, the Western he was on was Big Valley. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. I remember he had a bit part on, on a Western before um the $6 million man. And all this Lee Majors talk, ladies and gentlemen, while it may style like just some you know, non sequitur. It actually is Jermaine because Lee Majors is a star in the Liberation of Elvis. He no. is indeed. He is indeed. So there you go. <laughs> Angela Bassett, who was nominated for Academy Award, yes, that's the actress for um, Wakanda Forever. Yes. Um, also nominated. So happy for her. Also nominated for Academy Award, E. Carter. Yes, sir. And if she doesn't win. I can't wait to see the movie 
of the designer that does win. Me too. Me too. Um, but going back to Angela Bassett, I, mm-hmm. I, like, and I don't know about you. Or actually, you said you you didn't see this coming. I kind of saw this coming because she has been like the the queen of the ball. Sure. In some award season so far. Yeah. Um. So I kind of like saw this coming, and because her performance in Wakanda Forever is so striking, and she probably has there's probably two scenes you could pull two scenes from that movie that you would, you know, uh, submit sure. for your consideration. Sure. You know, so let's, let's, let's be crystal clear. And if anyone has been listening to me talk about the Oscars over the years, they know what I'm about to say. My saying, I didn't think Angela Bassett was going to get nominated was more reflection of what I think about the Oscars mm-hmm. than what I think about Angela of Bassett. Course. And quite honestly, I didn't think enough voters would have watched Wakanda forever. Oh, now see, I disagree with you. Yeah, I hear you, but l- again, the the Oscar members are notorious and well documented throughout the years that they don't watch stuff. That's that is true. However, especially black stuff. However, two thi- two things are also true. While probably not near as much to what we would like, they have if only for public relations sake, sure. Going out their way to change a lot of the demographics of the Oscar um, voting uh, community. Sure. So that it looks a lot more democratic and looks a a lot closer to the um, demographics of the United States. So there's that. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. There's been some work done. The other thing is, is that, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is probably the only Marvel movie outside of maybe the Infinity Gauntlet. That's just because of the weight of the story behind that. But it's the only Marvel movie that has leaped outside of the Marvel zeitgeist so that almost people, regardless of what you think of superhero movies, are aware of it. Um have an appreciation for the story behind it, you know, with, with Chadwick Boseman and everything sure. of that nature and are more inclined to definitely go and see that movie as opposed to the nomination that you thought was going to happen for Viola Davis right. for lead actress in The Woman King. Yes. And I can see a lot of people missing out on that film as opposed to Wakanda. And and let's be clear, when I was when I thought Viola Davis, I also kind of thought that Gina Prince Bythewood would get a nod for director. Yes. Yeah, but, but again, like I was actually quite honestly. I kind of thought Viola Davis would get a nomination, mm-hmm. but I would have bet money that Gina Bythe that uh, Gina, Gina Prince, Prince Bythewood was going to get one. See, like I, I would have put money on that. Yeah, see, I wouldn't because because I don't think if you give her a best director nod and then don't give the Woman King a nod, a nomination for picture best picture, then then you you're opening yourself up to controversy as to. I mean, quite honestly, it wouldn't. Um, it, you know, it's like what seven pictures now or so that are nominated for best picture. Yeah, I kind of thought Woman King would have gotten a nomination. I mean, like you're right, 
Mm-hmm. And and I actually thought that, like, I honestly thought the Woman King was going to get, they were going to throw him a Best Picture nomination. I never thought it would have won. I just thought they would throw him a nomination. I thought Gina Prince-Bythe would, would get one, mm-hmm. a nomination. Wouldn't necessarily win, but get nominated. And then I thought Viola Davis would have been a real contender. Actually, see, I the way I would have seen that. And for, for them to get nothing, I was like, wow, am I, I reading this right? For me, if they were going to throw, like, say, throw a nomination to The Woman King, which, to be honest, with no reflection on The Woman King, I love the movie. But just because trying to get a, 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 a window into their thinking, mm-hmm. if they were going to throw a, a nomination there, it would have been to Viola Davis for Best Actress. Because mm-hmm. tons of times people are nominated for Best Actor or sure, sure. Supporting and they don't in get films that don't necessarily get the, the bigger rec- sure. recognition. I would have seen them throwing a bone, throwing, throwing um, a nomination to Viola Davis or maybe even Lashana Lynch in the supporting right. uh, role. But you're not going. But if you throw it to Lashana in there, then you're you're right. splitting the vote with Angela. Right. So I didn't see that happening. But that's the one I would have seen happen. It's all academic. It's all academic, sir. Um, but but it's it's cool. I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy for them. And I and I hope that Angela brings home the night. She's long overdue. Yeah. And this is the Michelle mission, not the Kurosawa mission, but will be the Kurosawa mission for one second and say. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for all the nominations it got. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And I, and I actually think that that might run the table. I think it might run the table, and you know, obviously, I'm happy for Michelle Yao because we're Michelle Yao. But um, Stephanie Sue in supporting actress, super happy for her. Um, we talked about um, and his name just slipped my mind. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, Kihu Kwan. Yes, yes. Yeah, Kihu Kwan really pulling for him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good story. Yeah, I, so I'm I'm really happy, and I hope that they. I actually hope they they uh run the table. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it 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 it. The beauty of it is that it would not be a surprise for them to win best film. Because a uh, parasite won a few years, a couple of years ago, and it's you, you know, looking at the best films, it's oh. ambitious, it's audacious, yeah. it's big. Mm-hmm. So, it actually, it actually is on brand if it does win. Most certainly. So, but congrats to all. Hope when contract negotiations come around, gets people more money. Top five. Who's your top five? My top five is. My top five is. My top five is. Top five, ladies and gentlemen, where I come up with a top five list that Vince adds his scintillating commentary to. And tonight, pulling from our film, The Liberation of L.B. Jones. Mm hmm. I am looking at the top five Lolas. Oh. In honor of Lola Falana. Introducing Lola Falana. Introduced uh, one of one of several introductions in the liberation of 
LB Jones. Yeah. Very nice. Um, but, but some would say the biggest introduction and some would say, and I believe they will be right. And my, my uh, research has shown that Lola is definitively, Lola Falana is definitively the most famous Lola in the world of all time. Uh, um, well, I guess uh, I was about to, are these real Lolas? Like, I'm trying to think all the Lolas. Well, but here we go. Well, there you go. But, and there's the rub. All right. So who we got? There's the rub. With so now, Lola. all right. So I know a Lola that I think will show up. Go ahead. Because I tried to find real Lola. Right. And not only is Lola Falana the most famous Lola of all time. Mm-hmm. She may quite possibly be the most the only famous Lola. The only famous, okay. Not saying that there aren't Lolas of note. Sure. From real life. Sure. But what, their level of fame may vary. Sure. So therefore, mm-hmm. I had to dip into a more fictional world of Lola. Okay. Who we got? Who Lola Falada stills outshines. Outshines. But these are famous Lolas nevertheless. Okay. Beginning with Vincent, number five. Okay. Lola from Damn Yankees. Okay. I, from I, the Broadway musical Damn Yankees. Familiar with I'm that? not familiar with Damn Yankees at all. I've heard the name. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I know it's a thing. Oh, wow. I want to start. Well, I guess you're not like a, you wouldn't consider yourself a theater kid. No, I'm not a theater kid. Okay. I like what I like. But is someone named Lola and Damn Yankees? <laughs> well, yes. There's, there's a famous song that comes from uh, the Broadway musical Damn Yankees. Whatever Lola, Lola wants. wants. Is that Lola where that gets. comes from? Yes, that's exactly where that comes from. Interesting. Yes. It's a good song. Whatever Lola wants. Lola gets. Right, Lola. Yes. Um, Damn Yankees, which was written in 1958 by George Abbott and Stanley Donen. I just learned it's that old just now. Based on the 1954 novel, The Year the Yankees Lost the Pennant. The storyline is a take on the Faust legend and centers on the New York Yankees and Washington Sentinels baseball team. Okay. And whatever Lola wants is from that. Yes. All right. Number five. That is the number five. Famous Lola. Okay. Number four. Number four is Lola from the Broadway musical Kinky Boots. Wait, who's Lola in Kinky Boots? Ah. I saw the movie Kinky Boots. I don't remember a thing about it. Really? Isn't Chia would tell Edra for in that in the movie? I've never seen the movie. I've actually never seen the play. I, I Yeah. I had uh, tickets to go see the play, and I I didn't make it out there. I only know that it's it's um, written by didn't Sidney Lauper have something to do with the music or something? Yeah, she did the music in it. Yeah, Chiwetel Ejiofor is in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, based on the 2005 British film Kinky Boots, um, the musical tells the story of Charlie Price having inherited a shoe factory from his father. Charlie forms an unlikely partnership with cabaret performer and drag queen Lola Mm -hmm. to produce a line of high-heeled boots and save the business. Yeah, yeah. So so the drag queen is Lola. Right, right, right. That's actually the character 
that uh, Edge of Four plays. Oh, wow. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Spoiler. He's really good in it. Okay. He's good in it. Is the film good? I don't remember anything about the film. Okay. I just remember he was good in it. Okay. So, yeah. Well, he was Lola. Yeah. All right. My job. All right. And he's on number four. All right. Number three. Number three. Is another fictional Lola. Okay. This is Lola. Okay. From Barry Manilow. There it is. Copa Cabana. There it is. She was a show girl. That is absolutely correct. Her name was Lola. Yes, she was. She was a show girl. Yes, she was. With a yellow feather in her hair. Oh. Uh. And a dress hung up the hair. Oh. Yeah. Oh. An epic saga. <laughs> Shots rang out, but the question was, who shot who? That's right. And At the Copa. Copa Cabana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It was a flash forward, and it had turned into a disco. <laughs> she, what did she lose? I, I know she lost her love, Make but did she lost her mind? Vincent, don't make me sing this song. At the Copa. We can we cannot afford I know, but it is an epic <laughs> saga. We cannot afford the Copa Cabana is an epic saga. As a child, I would be on the edge of my seat every time that song came on. Really? As if I didn't know what was going to happen. So first of all, I'm surprised that you are such a big fan of this song. This song is bananas. <laughs> I was never... that's, the, that's the only Lola I was thinking of. When you said famous Lola's, I was like, well, clearly we're going to do Lola from Coca Copacabana. I don't even know who else it is. <laughs> oh, I'm going to listen to that when this show is over. That's, that's a good-ass song. Really? I mean, it's all right. The storytelling is amazing. Okay. All right. All right, go ahead. Are you a Barry Manilow fan? Are you on a low, a Barry Manilow? Fan is very strong. Like I say, I'm a fan of somebody if I could go to a concert. But, you know, Copacabana, Mandy, and I might be, like, I'm sure. I'm, I'm tapped out. Like, I'm sure it's probably two more songs that someone would say. And I'd say, oh, yeah, I like that, too. But, yeah, I'm not a Barry Manilow fan. But I really like Mandy, and I really like the Copacabana. Well, let me ask you, though. Okay. And I feel like maybe he writes. Like, I think there's... No, I think songs, he's, he certainly... There's three songs that he's written that I really yeah. like. Yeah. If you were given free tickets mm -hmm. to see Barry Manilow... Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. No question. You would go. Right. And and what we always say in my house, like, free tickets actually comes with strings attached. Because that, that means... That, does that mean you're going to get child care? Are you going to leave the house? Exactly. Exactly. Like dinner and drinks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for Barry Mantle, absolutely. I think I would. Is he dead? Is he okay? Yeah, yeah. I absolutely see Barry Mantle. I would pay up to fifty dollars a ticket to go see Barry Mantle. Okay, then you won't be seeing Barry. Mantle. Well, I know I won't. <laughs> We're just, you know, I have like we have we have these levels in my house. Mm -hmm. Like, how much would you pay to? And it's like he's on the fifty dollars. He's on the fifty dollar tier. Okay. So, like, I would spend fifty dollars a ticket. And everything Else. with childcare and getting dressed and leaving the house and you know, because again, leaving the house it's, that's big. Like that's a that's a bar to clear right there. That's leaving true. the house, that's very true. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. All right, number two. Vincent. Number two. 
the movie from 2000, from yeah. 1998. Yeah. Run, Lola, run. Oh, yeah. Because I was running out of Lola. You're running out of Lola. <laughs> now, the movie Run, Lola, run, which I, I know in my head, like I know is a thing. Yeah. But I, I know that I've never seen it. Are so, you sure? Because it seems like you saw it and then immediately forgot about it. No. Because even as I looked it, looked it up, unless, and I even looked to see if it was remade. Mm -hmm. It's not remade. It's from 1998. It's a German experimental thriller. Wait, what's the one with Mila Jovanich? What's her movie called? Mila, Mila uh, Jovanich? Yeah. yeah. Um, she's in Resident Evil. That's not Run, Lola, Run. Well, let me talk about the one. All I right, know. go ahead. Run, Lola, Run from the 1998 German experimental thriller uh, by Todd Twiker's story follows a woman named Lola who needs to obtain 100,000 douche marks in 20 minutes to save the life of her boyfriend, Manny. Now, I did not see any place where this movie was re-read as um, anything. And I, I see her right. looking, trying to look it up now. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, sure. Because I actually was like you. When I saw that, I was thinking, oh, what's, well, what if you, maybe it was remade into something like that. Milla or a Bridget Fonda movie or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But no. Her. No, it wasn't. But it, but it, I feel like I saw that. But it was in my head. And I thought it was her in there. It was, to be fair, <clears throat> the, the actress who does star in this film, Afranca Ponte, uh, does look like her a little bit. Yeah. She, she's got like a, a look. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. All right. So that's number two. Number two. Right, and I had the I, the reason why I gave her number two over them mm -hmm. is because even though it turned out to be German, mm -hmm. it was in my head. Like that permeated that that actually came to my head, came to me before Copacabana, um, Kinky Boots, or Damn Yankees. Okay, so I I had to give her you know rep, represent for that. I I don't understand how that came to you before Cop Copacabana, but go ahead. Just did. All right. Well, what's number one that came to you before any of these? Number one, Lola Bunny from Warner Brothers. The uh, is that from the star of is that the Space Jam? Space Jam and Space Jam Two. Okay. Oh, uh, she is also the character has uh, shown up in other Warner Brothers property like the Warner Brothers show. This, this is a real tough top top five right here. Yeah, but Lola is famous. This is a top. This is a tough top five right here. Come on, what was sorry. And I would argue maybe you should have done the, the most famous Roscos. <laughs> you may have better luck than this. Quite frankly, this is a raggedy top five. Uh, why is it raggedy? It's a little raggedy. Why is it raggedy? It's, you were just you were just on no, the no, Copa no, no, no. If you had a top two, Lola Falana. Lola from Copacabana. I'd have said, oh, wow, that, well, there you go right there. That's them, them the only Lola's you need. Okay, well, I couldn't put Lola Falano in there. I know, but so you already, you, you, you kneecapped yourself. What's wrong with it? Just because you don't know. I didn't say I didn't know her. I just said, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the lady bunny from Space Jam. And then they brought her back years later for Space Jam 2. More Space Jam. Okay, sure. All right. Well, there you go. Five Lolas. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, Khadijah chimed in that Billy Porter won a Tony for Best Actor in 
Kiki Boots when he play a Lola. Nice. That's the key. Like, Six Degrees of Dervell Martin. Hey, Vincent will attempt in six movies or less to get from 70s heartthrob Derville Martin to an actor of my choice. And I, again, took my lead from the film that we will be reviewing, The Liberation of L.B. Jones. Mm-hmm. Vincent, would you like to get to an actor from Worcester, Massachusetts? Or an actor from Camden, New Jersey. You start with Camden. It's close by. All right. So. Then work our way up north. So much like Lola Falana. Mm-hmm. Who was birthed in Camden, New Jersey. Okay. Vincent, in six movies or less, get from Derville Martin. Derville Martin. To. To. Another person born from Camden. A Camdenite. Tasha Smith. Tasha Smith. This is Tasha Smith from the um, Tyler Perry films? Yes. Okay. And this is how we shall get to Tasha Smith. You show me how will we do it. We are going to get to Derville Martin. I mean, from Derville Martin to Tasha Smith because Derville Martin. Derville Martin is in Five on the Black Hand Side, Dick Anthony Williams. Dick Anthony Williams is in Mo Better Blues with Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson is in School Days with Giancarlo Esposito. Mm -hmm. Giancarlo Esposito is in Fresh with Sean, what's his last name? Starring Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson, yeah, who's that's... in The Wood with Richard T. Jones, who's in Why Did I Get Married with Tasha Smith. Okay, very good. Uh, someone on Facebook called it, said five moves. Yeah. I, th I think they're placing bets. I think yeah. they're earning people money. I mean, again, a lot of times you can go quicker. Mm -hmm. But you know, it was fun. We played Six Degrees on Saturday. We did. We did. They tried to stump you. you they did. They did. Stunned the crowd with your majesty. It's it's amazing. So who's our Massachusetts person? Our, who's my New Englander? Your New Englander from the liberation of L.B. Jones, also making their acting debut, if you can believe it or not. Okay. Zara Cooley. This is her first film? I know. You would have thought that she had made that Yeah. You know it. I mean, just here I on mean, this show, it, this is before Sugar Hill. Mm -hmm. This is before Brother John. Mm -hmm. And more famously, before, it, before the Jeffersons. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she uh, heralds from uh, Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts. Interesting. Along with this star, who you will attempt to get to from Dervell Martin in six movies or less, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary in a movie. Mm -hmm. Not extensive, but he does have a filmography. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problem is, it, it's oh, Dennis Leary is usually I, like I know I've seen Dennis Leary in a movie, but it was like a bit part, and he was he, he like came and went. I should let you know that probably his most famous movies, he's a voice actor. It's Dennis Leary doing voices. Dennis Leary. And definitely, definitely in a movie within the last 10 years that I know you've seen. Two, actually. Well, one within the ten, last 10. I don't know what he's in. That's the real problem. You made the voice acting thing. Um, I'll give you voice acting. Which one's easier, the voice acting thing or the movie? They're, they're both easy as far as like they have a lot of connections at them. But the voice acting, I guess you got to know the... Well, the, the voices? The other voices. Well, give me that one then. Okay. One of them you'll probably know if you know the movie. And, and it's his most recent movie. What is that? From 2016... Ice Age Collision Course. Oh, my God. All right. Who's he playing Ice Age? He's the, 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 um, the saber-toothed tiger. Oh, he sure is. Diego. Diego. Which one is that? The most recent one. Col the most recent one. Okay, so, so I'll definitely get to this one because I know Queen Latifah yeah. ends up... Yeah. Is 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 a later addition to the cast, and of course, um, how do we get to Queen Latifah? You know what? We'll go the same way, or use the same actor, and we'll do something that we just did, because Dervil Martin once again is in um Five on the Black Hand Side with Dick Anthony Williams, who is um. Mo Better Blues also, and I actually made an extra step because he's in Mo Better Blues as well as School Days, and that would be Giancarlo Esposito, mm -hmm. who's in The Last Holiday ah, Queen Latifah. Who's in? Ice Age. Ice Age. Ice, Ice Age 3, Ice Age 2, Ice Age colon printing money when Pixar don't add nothing else. I don't know, right. Collision. Right, one of them Ice Age movies. What movie is he in and it's not animated? That I that I know you've seen? I mean, just tell me what it was like I, I don't I don't think of Dennis Leary in movies. Okay. Well, he was in in 2014 he started two films. One I know you didn't see, one I know you saw. Okay. The one you didn't see was Draft Day. You're right, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally all about the NFL. Mm -hmm. The one I know you saw. Okay. Is the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Who's he in that? Please, Captain Stacy. Gwen Stacy's father. Does he really? Mm -hmm. Is that Andrew Garfield or yes. is that? You know what? I didn't see that. You didn't see that? I did not see that. Did you see, see either of his? You ready? Films? Not really an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man fan. But wait a minute. I didn't see either of them. But then you can't say you're not a fan if you didn't see No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Let's be clear. I'm not a fan of those movies. Because you remember, those were the movies that Sony made to keep the copyright. Mm -hmm. Like, they came like a year after the Tobey Maguire movies. Uh, I think it was a little bit more than a year. 
it won the gear, but it was it was very close to it. And everyone said this was all some licensing stuff. Okay. And I saw the first one, or I saw part of the first one, maybe the first half hour of the first one, and it did not hold my like it looked like this is a movie that the lawyer said we needed to put out. Really? Yeah. Because I I I have to say I don't agree with you. Okay. I, actually, no, I can't I, fight you because I didn't see it. I mean, I definitely know that. There, re- there was, you know, reasons for why they did this. You know, keep holding on to, to the copyright mm-hmm. for Spider-Man. Um, even though there were some legitimate reasons to make it because Spider-Man 3, the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 3 screwed the pooch. Right. Um, but, so I, all that being said, Andrew Garfield, I think, brought a different energy than Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. to the role. Um, and the film was different enough that I was like, okay, this is this iteration of Spider-Man. And the first one actually is not bad. He's it's actually pretty good. I will take it's got that. some killer special. Like I said, I'll have to take your word for it, but as someone who is a true blue diehard blurred, it didn't hold my attention after a half hour. Oh wow! Like I would, I would challenge you like to turn. Okay, like I one hundred percent turn the channel. Because that's the one with the lizard, and the lizard is re- it, it really is d- well done. Okay, get rid of me! I'll circle back around. All right, well, okay, well but yeah, I never would have guessed that for Dennis Lear. Wow. Well, then, then let me just go through his. I'll say, um, is that ex- what else is he in? Um, he was. I'm going back. He was in Blow. Did you ever see Blow? I did see Blow. I don't remember anything about Blow. Such a good movie. He was in um oh oh what's my movie? Um mm. oh great. Where where's my movie? I just saw it. He Wag the Dog. Did you ever see Wag the Dog? Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman. You know what? I don't think I actually saw Wag the Dog. That's good. Natural Born Killers, he was in. Who did he play in Natural Born Killers? Uh, well, now that I'm looking at it, he was in the director's cut. Okay. Um, and he was in The Ref. That was like his big movie. I don't um, vaguely remember. That. With uh, Judy Davis and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Um, he, was in, he was in a lot of movies. He was in Who's the Man? He sure was in Who's the Man. Mm-hmm. He was in. Uh, he has a cameo in Strictly Business. Okay, I don't remember that. And uh, Demolition Man. He, 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 he. I mean, and I'm jumping around. All right, Side right. Kings, The Matchmaker. Right. You know, Small Soldiers, Your Voice and Bugs Life. Right. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into our review of The Liberation of L.B. Jones. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. If you don't want a divorce, promise me you'll never see him again. <laughs> you must be out of your mind. If you promise me, I'm willing to call it off. It still isn't too late, Emma. Not where I'm concerned. Give up, Willie Jeff? No, Daddy. Why, he's twice a man. Will you get rid of your lawyer? Never happened. And let me have the divorce. Why fight me? 
Well, maybe Emma likes things just the way they are. Then I must have it from you once and forever. Tell me no. Hell no! I'll see you in court. <laughs> oh, sure, Mr. Lord Byron Jones. I believe you. The Liberation of L.B. Jones, a 1970 American film directed by William Wyler, screenplay by Jesse Hill Ford and Sterling Siliphant, based on uh, Ford's 1965 novel, The Liberation of Lord Byron Jones. This film stars Roscoe Lee Brown, Lee J. Cobb, Lola Falana, Anthony Zervi, Lee Majors, Arch Johnson, Barbara Hershey, Chill Wills, Eve McVeigh, and Michelle favorite, Yafid Koto. Yafid Koto. This film, which is a taut noir dealing with murder, race, sex, and all the in-between, was Vincent's selection for this stop on the Michelle mission. Vincent, what say you of the liberation of L.B. Jones? I think the most important thing about this film is, as you said, it is based on the novel of basically the same name by the screenwriter, Jesse Ford. Mm -hmm. Because the strongest aspect of this film is the story itself. So it's, it's a really interesting story that's a snapshot of this moment of transition mm -hmm. in America, frankly. It's, it's set in a small town. Roscoe Lee Brown plays the title character, uh, L.B. Jones, or Lord Byron Jones. And he is the wealthiest black man in this small town. Small southern town. This small southern town, which is important. He is married to a significantly younger woman. A woman, I believe they say is 22, 23 years old played by Lola Falana, and he wants to divorce her because she has been cheating on him with someone, and although because he is so much older than her, he is able to forgive her for this, she tells him, I am not going to stop seeing this other man. The complication occurs when he goes to get a lawyer and, you know, as as the wealthiest black man in town, he can afford to get a a a good lawyer and the best lawyer in town. And, and just um, sorry, he is the wealthiest man in town because he is an undertaker. The, yeah, like the funeral director. Right. He's he's the colored undertaker. He goes to get the the big lawyer in town who's a white man. The lawyer tells him. Basically, I will take the case, you know, there's a little back and forth, but I'll take the case if it's a no, no argument can, you know, if she's not contesting it, basically. And as far as, as Jones knows, she's not going to contest it. She wants to keep her lover. He has tried to reconcile with her, says, if you stop seeing the man, I can take you back. She says, I'm not going to stop seeing him. Jones says, I want a divorce. And it seems like she is willing to go along with the divorce. She says, I'll give you the house. I'll give you the car, you know, as a divorce. Because of that, the, the, the lawyer 
who is played who is um played by Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb and uh Oman Hedgepath. Oman Hedgepath says I'll go along with it. The reason why Hedgepath is so interested in whether or not this is going to be a no contest divorce is because if Mrs. Jones contests the divorce, that means they would have to go to court. And if they go to court, that means that people have to testify. And if they testify, it's going to come out that Lola Falana's character is cheating on Roscoe Lee Brown's character with a white man. And not and only is he a white man, but he is a policeman. And Hedgeworth, who, while is is a is a very um successful lawyer, he is also basically one of the town fathers. He understands the 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 implications of what would happen to the town if it got out that this white policeman was having an affair with this black woman. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want this to happen come to find out because it's a movie and it's it's a movie that's not 10 minutes long lola falana's character it has decided to contest the divorce because she wants money and she wants more than just a car and a house because she is pregnant with the policeman's child and this is really the foundation of this story that because it's set in the late 60s, the late 60s, you know, there's a film that was that came out in 1970, again, based on this novel. It is a southern town. Obviously, everything that we think about in these small southern towns with the racism and the white supremacy and all of that is in play. But because we're in this weird moment at the end of the civil rights movement, Appearance matters. So you just can't lynch people. You just can't run over people. Like you can't be a policeman who's keeping the law and have this very open relationship with this black woman. So a large part of the film involves the players trying to convince L.B. Jones and Mrs. Jones or Emma Jones to not contest it, not tell, keep this secret. There's a subplot with Yafet Koto where Yafet Koto um, apparently was from the town when he was younger. And now he's come back to get revenge on one of the, one of the policemen, not the policeman having an affair with, with Emma, but his partner. Officer Bumpus. And quite honestly, this is a subplot that doesn't really give much meat. Like it's there, but but the real meat is this social interaction between these other characters. And I found the story itself really interesting. Like just, again, the social dynamic in this town during this moment of transition, it actually reminds me a little bit of something like William Faulkner would have written. Like Faulkner always wrote about these transitional periods in the South. Again, it's based on this novel, but apparently the novel was based on a true story right. that actually happened in Jesse Ford's town. 
So you have this sense of authenticity that runs through it that really held my attention to the point that for the film itself, one of the decisions that I liked so much that I wish they would have done with it, you know, we do spoilers here. The conflict culminates just the way, you know, many of you would have guessed the conflict would culminate, which would be in the murder of L.B. Jones because he refuses to not tell the truth. But when it happens, there's 20 minutes left in the film. So you get to see the repercussions of the richest black man, man in this town murdered mm -hmm. and how the white men who are in charge of the town have to kind of deal with that and massage it and put everything back in place. And while it was 20 minutes left in the film, I wish there was a 45 to an hour left because, again, that was the strongest part to me of this film, like the story itself. Now, what I haven't said, concentrating so much on the story, is the rest of it. As a film, you know, there aren't really any performances that jump out at you. Um, Roscoe Lee Brown isn't really asked to do much, would be kind of a, a, a straight rod black guy. Yeah. A bit uh, of a milk toast for most of it. Bit of milk toast, bit of milk toast guy. But again, even that would be more of a personality than what you care. Mm -hmm. Lola Falana as an actress, this is her first role, and Lola Falana as an actress is a beautiful woman. She is also not asked to do much, but be Lola Falana, mm -hmm. and 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 wear very little clothing, or for a moment, no clothing at all, and and. You might get a spark every now and then of life from her, but it's only a spark. It's only going to be a moment. And she's going to do something with her leg where the camera is drawn to her thighs and you're not going to think about it. We mentioned Lee Majors and Barbara Hershey are in here. Lee Majors has never been anyone's thespian. And as an early role for Lee Majors, the role itself and his performance, there's nothing really there. There's a slew of actors who you've seen in television, including, as we talked about, our beloved Zara Coley, who you um, know as Mother Jefferson, who we all love so much. Yafet Koto, I got the sense that Yafet Koto's character was a character looking for a better script in a better movie. That's about to say. Yep. Like, you could see life in there, and there are these wonderful very quick little moments mm -hmm. where you realize there's more going on with this. Like this guy is bigger than this movie. Mm -hmm. The pacing, the way the film is shot, quite honestly, it reminded me of a 70s television show. Yeah. Like I kept waiting for someone to say, and on the next episode of Mannix, mm -hmm. <laughs> not Mannix, murder in a southern town. <laughs> It certainly doesn't rise to the level of a Columbo or a Rockford Files, but it very much could be a Barnaby Jones, a Mannix, even a Kojak, as much as people talk about Kojak. And while that sounds like an insult, I love them shows. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Mannix. 
I love Barnaby Jones. Like I love those those kind of standard those, those sort of proced- old procedurals, procedurals of the day, right? Where you know, guest starring Jill St. John, and, and you know, like I love those. So while it's not a great movie, I very much enjoyed it because again, the story was so interesting to me, and how again it was a snapshot of this transitional moment. And while it had the flavor of a television show, it had the flavor and feel of a television show that I like. Mm. So that I landed on, I enjoyed this movie. You're right. It does have like some of the vibe, some of the production values. Mm, Production values, yeah. On screen that make you think of like television at the time. And this almost could be like a blown up um, TV movie mm-hmm. for television that, they, you know, like they decided, hey, let's release this. You know, yes. Akin to the Scott Joplin movie that we had watched, which right. definitely felt like a TV movie that they then said, oh, well, let's release it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. The difference with this one and you you're you were talking about the performances and direction, the different about. This movie is, in fact, the pedigree. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much because of the pedigree in front of the camera, even though we all have love, we all have love in the black community for Roscoe Lee Brown and Lola Falana. Mm-hmm. But Lola Falana at this time is not, she's not even what Lola Falana would become. She's making her film debut and she still very much is a name-ish on the stage, mm-hmm. you know, at, um, at this time, right? Roscoe Lee Brown, Yafit Koto are both growing character actors at this time, right? So right. Uh, Roscoe Lee Brown would never rise to the heights of like a lead actor um, being in front of the camera, but he definitely was a, an actor that we were used to seeing showing up with stuff and always appreciating when he does show up. And Yafit Koto was a face that we were becoming more and more familiar familiar with and a face that we had were growing to learn to trust for something interesting happening on the screen. Mm-hmm. Right. But in 1970, even their legends are still being born. So the pedigree that I'm actually talking about, which would, which was uh, what would make you think that this is going to be a much more significant film is the lead actor who is a white man who plays mm-hmm. the the southern lawyer hedgepath Lee J Cobb Lee J Cobb is definitely a name out out there uh in 1970 that resonates for people because of an incredible filmography behind him uh he was starred in the original 12 angry men he was also in um, On the Waterfront. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is a name that people definitely recognize and would latch on to. But even more so than him. You talked about the person who wrote the novel, mm-hmm. Jesse Ford. His writing partner in this is Sterling Siliphant. Sterling Siliphant is an Academy Award winning screenwriter for In the Heat of the Night. Mm. So he's coming off of that. Interesting. Into this film. Yeah. 
And then, even more than that, mm -hmm. the director of this movie is William Wyler. A not one, not two, three-time Academy Award-winning director of films. He won Academy Awards for... Uh, I believe it was for uh, Mrs. Miniver. Yes, Mrs. Miniver, The Best Years of Our Lives, and the movie that you probably have all heard of, Ben-Hur. Mm -hmm. So you've got all of that pedigree. Yeah, he's some, he's some heavy players. These are some heavy players coming into this uh, studio film. This is Columbia Pictures. So this is, this is a, a studio. This is not independent coming together to to wrap their talents around this, as you pointed out, urgent sociopolitical story ripped from the headlines. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, oh boy, this is going to be something. But what you don't know, probably don't know going into it, even though I got a hint an inkling he probably would, that this is William Wyler's final movie. Yeah, yeah. It's his last movie. And and it's his last movie as director, and he's unfortunately, uh, William Wyler, um, I believe, and I just want to make sure, because I did look it up earlier, um, Not he passes away in 1981, but he was not doing very well in 1970 at, at all. So, so this is going to be his last movie. And unfortunately, it appears that in the direction of this film, he may have took his eye off the ball mm -hmm. a little bit because just looking in, just looking objectively from the way that this film is directed, you would never guess that this was a person that won an Academy Award. Right. Right. Um, three times right before direction. And like you said, the story is so interesting. But the reason why the performances don't land is because they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yafit Koto's in another movie. Mm -hmm. Lee J. Cobb, who is an actor I've always enjoyed, but he's also an actor that has never met a, a script that he could not make a hungry meal out of. <laughs> so he's showing up, he's showing up the place. Lee Major is waiting for somebody to activate his bionic eye. <laughs> Roscoe Lee Brown is sleepwalking. Somebody must have, like, he must be method acting a funeral director right. in this movie because he is sleepwalking through this film. Um, and Lola Falana, like you said, as an actress, is a beautiful woman. Is very pretty. Right. Yes. And with all due respect to Lola Falana, Lola Falana's career as an actress, she's a beautiful woman. She's very pretty. Right. So you're left with the best thing going acting-wise is Zara Cooley. <laughs> <laughs> She's giving the best performance in this movie. She looks like she's 75 years old. They just discovered her, probably because she was on the corner. What, in the movie? Yafet Koto is better than her. Okay, fair enough. You're right. 
But I'm just saying, he was better. But like you said, he's acting in a different oh, movie. <laughs> now, he's an entirely different movie. He's than in this. another movie. Right. No? He <laughs> thinks he's still in nothing but a man. He's sitting there. He's What he's doing, he's sitting there saying, this is not the William Wyler movie. I found it. <laughs> right. right. That's what he's saying. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. How about that? And you're joking, but I think you're probably right. It's real talk, man, because that, he probably gets a lot of these people to the yard. Probably and, gets Lee J. Cobb. Right. I mean, you can tell you can tell the level of preparation he's done mm -hmm. with this character he's development. Character. He's built a character, and unfortunately, is not given anything really yeah. substanists to do yeah. in, this, in this movie. Yeah, you're joking, but I bet that's 100% what happened. Right, and it's a shame because his story is kind of interesting. His story is the lead black story that you're introduced mm -hmm. to, but it, it quickly becomes sidelined for most of the movie, and it never really connects. No, it doesn't. To, to the movie, oh, you've got to do a little bit of gymnastics, you know, to, to make it connect Yeah, um, in your head. So, it, but it's a shame because the story is very interesting. The, the because the racial dynamics and race and racial politics, yeah, of this southern town that on that are on display. Um, how you know, Lee J. Cobb's character Hedgepath is talking to L. B. Jones, Roscoe Lee Roscoe Lee Brown's character, and he's basically telling him out of one side of his mouth. Yeah, I got you because you're, you know, I know me and you, they they come off as like kind of like cordial or, or if yeah, you're absolutely. You know, friends. Right, right. You know, um, I got you because you're my friend. However, I can't go up against, you know, I can't put this this white man's name out in the streets like that. Yeah. You know, never mind this this white man who. You uh, to admittedly, you're not meant to feel any type of sympathy for. um, But. You're really only meant to feel sympathy for one character in the air, and that's Roscoe Lee Brown's character. Yeah. Uh, the L.B. Jones. And he is done dirty in this movie yeah. by everybody. He's done dirty by by the lawyer hedge pass. He's done dirty by Lola Falana, because Lola Falana like, basically t gives, up, gives him her ass to kiss. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but her problem is that while she does have a, a nice ass, she proceeds to give it to everyone to kiss until somebody actually like, like dupe the, her white guy who is urged by the lawyer to try to get her to settle. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to get, um, he doesn't want to have to put his name out there and the white cop doesn't want to have his name out there. He goes in and basically smacks her up, um, before he realizes that she don't have a baby. Uh, and she gets smacked up for her trouble. Now, she's still holding her ground. Yeah. Um, but I don't, but she's like popping bad in people's faces. Like she's like daring people to just like, uh, she's daring people to hit her. Yeah. Well, you know, I, which is, which, what I, I say that all to say that there's no likable characters in this movie. Forgive me. I said Roscoe Lee Brown's character is a character to, um, to, to pity in this movie. There is one other character who is done real dirty in this movie. And I think you only get away with this because it is 1970. And that is, and I want to make sure 
Uh, I don't think she got a... I was about to say, I know who you're talking about, and I don't know if she's really in the credits. Yeah, she's not in the credits. Yeah. She doesn't have much mm-hmm. much of a role role and and um much much lines at one point the 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 white cops they arrest this guy and i don't even think they arrest him for the murder or anything no just arrest him for being black yeah they don't even show the arrest right no yeah it happens off off yeah off camera they arrest him for being black and his wife later calls down to the station saying hey what can i do to get my husband out of there because he's got to work the next day if he doesn't show up it's going to get he's going to get laid off and we really money yada 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 well they tell her station you got to speak to the arresting officer see if he can get him to drop the charges so they put her in contact with the arresting officer who happens to be um officer willie joe who mm-hmm. is lola falana's dude he shows up with his partner officer bumpus um, on the corner to pick up the this guy's wife, says that they're going to take her to him to sell things. What they instead do is drive her out to the park where he jumps in the back seat and he rapes her. Yes. Um, it, it is done off camera. I was about to say, it's all done it, off camera. But... but it is still, there is definitely a, a, tensual, a tense and intense moment where you see him jumping into the back seat with her yeah. and then um and i got the sense that both of them assaulted her see i only i uh, i only got the sense that he did yeah i thought when bumpus yawned like he did that was the that was the film signaling us that both of them had assaulted her no see i i took uh because you see willie joe on un, unbuttoning un, un her blouse right and then they fall uh lay down into the back back seat and then it cuts to them uh, to another scene, uh, and the next thing you know, you see them pulling up back to the corner, basically to just let her out the car, mm-hmm. you know, disheveled. And that's when Bumpus yawned. Mm-hmm. I took his yawn as this is another Saturday night, right? Okay, well, regardless, no, yeah. regardless, yeah. they're ambivalent to it. Yeah. He certainly is, a, and he definitely, if while I don't see him participating. In the assault, he is complicit in the assault. Yeah. Because he yeah. drives them and is there the whole time, the whole night. Um, yeah, but I feel sorry for her. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no justice given to that woman. No. None. This is this town? Whatsoever. That is just the town in which we live. And never mind that there's no justice given to this woman. Willie Joe, as you mentioned, would then later murder L.B. Jones there's no justice given to him. No, none. What? None, none whatsoever. He actually, in, in fact, in the end of the movie, is feels a tinge of guilt. Yeah, for killing L.B. Jones. Yet the lawyer, who we were led to believe at the beginning of the film was L.B.'s friend, um, talks him out of the guilt. Mm-hmm. And is complicit in hiding the, the the murder weapon. Look, that's that's part of what drew me so much to this story. I think oftentimes when we see these depictions of these small towns, and and we we actually saw this in a film that we've talked about previously, The Learning Tree, where there is this clear division. So, sorry, real quick. Yes, I I knew I read that someplace. That woman that I was talking about mm-hmm. was the film debut of Brenda Sykes. That wasn't Brenda Sykes. Yes, it was. 
that wasn't Brenda Sykes. Brenda Sykes was at the bar dancing. That was Brenda Sykes. Oh, you're right. That's right. Oh, I know Brenda Sykes. That's right. That's right. You know how fond Lola Falana is? Brenda Sykes is in a movie, and she only the second fondest woman in the movie. That's true. Doing Lola Falana's act. Right. I felt bad for Brenda Sykes, because she probably Brenda Sykes everywhere she goes. But then they had her here with Lola Falana. I like the fact that there there wasn't this difference between the poor whites, the less formally educated whites, the thuggish whites. Yeah. You know, the townies, the policemen, this, that, and the other, uh, this, that, and the other. I love the fact that the mayor and this lawyer, who in a lot of ways is our, in some ways is our peak, our, our POV character, mm-hmm. like this Laura Hedgeworth. Like I love the, like I loved very early on um, when he, he wants to take Jones's case. He says, I'm not going to take your case. Lee Major's character is his beloved nephew who has moved, it moved into the town to take over the law firm eventually. Yeah. And he says, basically, why can't we take it? We should take it. Oh, I don't want to take it. And then when all these complications occur, he says to Lee Majors, and this is why you don't practice nigger law. And you don't think that this character would use this kind of language. Not as he's being, has been set up. But he very much would use this language and he goes on to use it. And then, as you said, he and the mayor are the ones that facilitate the cover up. Well... It is more him. No, he's the, mayor, the person. The mayor tries to sign his. Well, the mayor says, "Wash his hands up." Yeah, the mayor says, "I don't want to hear this." Yeah. So, no, it's him and the mayor. Fair enough. Because Fair again, enough. the important thing is to keep the trains running on mm-hmm. time. On time. Mm-hmm. The important thing is not to besmirch, besmirch the name of this town. Mm-hmm. Which, just to 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 pull back out to the novel. Jesse Ford almost got ran out of this town because of because book. of this book where he brought attention to the real life case. So that part of of the film, again, the story, mm-hmm. the story, I, I absolutely love that part. I know the story. If, if, if someone told you this story, right, you would say, wow, this would this be, would be a, a great, great movie. I wish they would have spent more time. With Emma Jones's, Lola Falana's character's motivations. I know. Except for a quick scene at the end, the only time you see her is in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. Which at first I thought this was a directorial choice to show how her movements, her physical movements are limited. But she's still kind of orchestrating all this stuff. But by the time the film goes off, you realize that this is just a weakness of the film not developing this character. I know because it, it, it would have been interesting because also when the film goes off, you're led to believe that she feels some level of remorse at LB Jones being, being killed. But she also realizes that she has to reconcile that she is pretty much ostracized in that town. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't get that at all because the, like the only, the only hint that maybe she's ostracized, ostracized is that LB Jones's assistant attacks her because LB Jones's assistant 
and Emma are falsely accused of murdering L.B. Jones after they find his dead body. Of course, they end up letting them go. The assistant attacks her very quickly. Mm -hmm. But that's actually the end of her in the film. Like I expected to see, like I said, we were when I said it was 20 minutes left. One of the repercussions I was looking for on screen is what you just said. Like I wanted to see the black townspeople react to her. No, I understand. I think, and I think the the assistant reacting to her the way that uh, he did mm-hmm. is it's meant to be because this is certainly the way that I read it. Um, our clue into how the town feels about her and her compl- her complicitness in his murder. No, no, no. I agree with you. Like, I agree it's reasonable to to infer that from them. What I'm saying is it would have been more powerful if they would have showed it. Showed more of it. Showed more of it yeah. with the actual townspeople. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that I thought was a little unclear was who all knew about this relationship between oh. Emma and 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 Willie Joe. And Willie Joe. Because I got the sis there trying to, you know, we don't want it to be said in open court because now people will hear it. You know, obviously Willie Joe doesn't want his wife to know. It's not it but I got the sis. It's it's, a, it's an open secret. I think everyone knew it. But the difference is is that when it is said in court, now it is it's on public. Well, the other thing is that Bumpus went through this whole charade of setting up the body like he had been basically lynched. Mm-hmm. Like, if everyone knows, what is all what's all this theater for? Because the, like just leave the dead body there. No, because the the, the theater, the theater of it, and I still don't believe that it 100 percent tracks. I'm with you to a degree. But the theater of it is, is that while pretty much everyone knows it's a it's it's like that secret that people speak of in the in, you know, behind closed doors. Right. 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 So but for the general public, you want to put some ambiguity. Right. On what happened so at to the bar at, at the bar when Brenda Sykes is dancing, everybody knows. Everybody's talking about it and they say, you know, who really killed Elvis right. Jones. Yeah. Right. But they, but you, as long as there's just a hint of ambiguity, and that's why he tries to, try, you know, like slashes up his, his body. And yeah. Um, that, that, that's what all of that is. Actually, Bumpus, that officer, he's the only white person that gets any sort of justice in this movie. Right. Because he, he's the reason why Yafid Koto's character, has returned. Right. He's come back after being away for 13 years because he wants to enact revenge on Officer Bumpus for um, beating him. When he was a kid. When he was a kid Mm -hmm. um, for no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, He wants to murder him with a gun. He wants to shoot him with a gun. And he has an opportunity to do that at one point in the the film, but he, he decides... He doesn't want to do it. He realized when he came to that moment that, you know, that was not going to what attacking right. free. He was letting go of that, that feeling of revenge or what have you. But then in the wake of what happens to LB Jones, you're led to believe that he now is 
back on that path. Right. Um, at, at least for this one guy. Right, right. Um, but he's not going to, but now he's going to be smart about it. Well, yeah. And he's not going to shoot him. Again, this is a character in search of a better movie. <laughs> so instead, he pushes him into his, uh, like the, this, like a thresher. thresher. Yeah, thresher. yeah. Actually, wrote my nose, he Fargo'd him. Exactly. Yes, I know Fargo was a wood chipper, but he Fargo'd him. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this is where. How about that? Yeah. I think we are meant to believe that Hedgeworth's nephew and wife leaving at the end. Hedgepath. Hedgepath, I'm sorry, is the repercussion of Hedgepath. Because Hedgepath, and, and again, I don't know how, how hard it lands, but the film is positioning Hedgepath as somebody who's a little older, who's thinking about his legacy, who's thinking about his standing in town. He's never married. Like there's this, there's this whole weird little detail about he was having an affair with a black, black woman. woman yeah. And then the woman he was engaged to found out and then broke off the engagement. But it, it's, it, it, it's such a highly dramatic detail that I felt like this was an episode from last season <laughs> that I missed <laughs> that they were referencing previously on Mannix. I know you're dating that black girl and now I don't want to marry you. But I got the sense his whole thing was my legacy and I'm going to give this to my nephew that I love more than my own flesh and blood, which is a quote from the movie. And, and the two of them leaving at the end with their judgment mm. was supposed to be him having a consequence as well. But again, it just didn't, it, it just didn't land. No, it does not land as significantly as I think maybe the film wanted it to land. No, it, it, it doesn't. The one, because I don't, their, their characters aren't built up at all. And two, we talked about Lee Majors is, <laughs> <laughs> Look, <laughs> I was talking to someone about this last week. You know how cool Lee Majors was, though. When you look at episodes of the Bionic Man and the Six Million Dollar Man, actually, not a lot of Bionics. No, like it's like, eh, eh, eh. but the vast majority of what made it work when it worked. He was he, like he was real cool. Yeah, okay. he was real cool. Okay, what was it like? In them leisure suits and them turtlenecks. You see, see, that's the thing. That's the thing. He looked he real cool. I think he had presence mm-hmm. on the show. I like, he was real cool. I haven't watched walk full, around. There's stuff going on. I haven't watched full episodes. Yeah, but at one point for a project, I had to go and was looking for like clips. Right. Of the $6 million man, $6 million man, $6 man, whatever. Right. Um, so I had, I, I sat through a few more than my share of clips of Lee Majors. Right. From that show. Yeah. He looked cool. I think it, I, I, he, he does not get a line over. I well. think you have to give yourself to a full episode. I really do. No, like, like, I really do think. Not- it's 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 the speed. I mean, it's seventies speed, much like this movie. Like, there's a seventies pacing to it. But I like I believe, like I really did. 
See, you said a 70 spacing. I actually think it's interesting that this movie comes out in 1970, but was very likely probably shot in 69 into 70. Right. Because there's this weird spot between 68, 69, and 70 where I think films are trying to find themselves. Okay. And it does, I don't think it necessarily has a 70s pace. It's kind of got no, like a, a 70s television pace. Even that, like this feels like a, like it very much felt like a television show to me. It it does. But even that to agree, I still think it's still trying to find it. It's, it's seventies. It's like the beginning of trying to find that pace. It, it almost, it feels like they want the pace of something like in the heat of the night. I was about to say, you actually named the key earlier when you said this is the same. They 100%. That's what they want. Had a shot of in the heat of the night up on the cork board. Yes. Yeah, that's, but they don't, they, they, it, it's just, it's not, it's not there. I mean, if only you could get Norman Jewison, Sidney Poitier, and I'm about to say Carol O'Connor. Um, Steiger, Rod Steiger, uh, Rod Steiger involved. I know, but, but yeah, besides that, but you think you maybe I know, I know, writer, I know, I know, and William Wilder, I know, and Lee J. Cobb. I know, you think I he's know. got a shot? I know, and, and Roscoe, and, and Roscoe Lee Brown speaks real proper. <laughs> what else do you need? You think I mean? What else? <laughs> you know what? You're, you're not wrong. You're not. You're actually not wrong. <laughs> you think you got it? You think you've got a winner. Right. They're like, we're gonna make some like in the heat of the night. And then I said, what the hell are you talking about? Heat of the night had Norman Jewison, Sidney Fortier, and Rod Steiger. And then everybody you just named, and then they said, and Roscoe Lee Brown speak real proper. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. okay. All right, all right. This makes me wonder what would this movie may have been if Yafit Kodo is Ross is LB Jones. I think he's too young. No, I think uh, He's too young because of what that that role. Yeah, I think but he's even though too he, young. I think, he, I think he's still he he could play old. He could play older. I think the other yeah, thing. I think the other thing about Yafet Kodo. I don't know how you desexualize Yafet Kodo in 1970. That's true. Like the that's a good point. Like, like one thing about Roscoe Lee Jones. Hold on a second, Roscoe Lee Brown. He very much plays someone who has been cuckolded, as they say, very well. Like you said, um, Emma is running circles around him. Mm-hmm. You know, Willie Joe just comes up in the house like, like, like everyone just completely disrespects him. I know, and I don't know if Yafet Koto could pull that off in nineteen. I don't know when Yafet Koto, because Yafet Koto was probably older than Roscoe Lee Brown when he was on Homicide. And he was very much a force. You mean he was... Like the actor. Lee Brown right, right. The now. actor, Yafet Kota, was probably older in Homicide than Roscoe Lee Brown it, was it, it, in this time. movie. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I think. I did have an answer, though, because someone, me and my girlfriend were watching this film, and we at first questioned about everybody walking in and out of this man's house like mm-hmm. you But then I remembered... Oh, it's but he's the Undertaker. He's a funeral director. Yeah, but I thought the funeral home was a different building. No, a lot of times they kind of like. No, I know in real life, but I mean in this movie when they have the establishing shot of him at the funeral home, 
I thought that was a different building than his house. No, I thought that was the same place. Same. Place. That's because because he he is at that place when when he goes to see his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is also at that place when they the brief scene that they do show him in the funeral. I okay. could have sworn that was like it's okay. a different room. You're right. No, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, George Carmona has offered up a potential blurred compromise. Okay. That you will watch The Amazing Spider-Man and I will watch $6 million. <laughs> An episode. Of, but I get to pick the episode. Okay. And I'm not going to pick one of the big ones. Like I, want, I don't, see, I, 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 I can't see him watch uh, Battle Bigfoot. I, right, I mean that would be easy to say. Oh, Bigfoot is 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 entertaining. No, no, no. Like I won't pick Bigfoot. I won't pick did the 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 what the the fem the fembots. Yeah, were the fembots on the six no, million dollar man, no, or were the they fembot. only on the Bionic Woman? No, they had to have been on the six million dollar man. You know what? I'm now. I'm not even seeing those fembots. I'm seeing fembots in um. I think there were fembots in a Matt Helm movie. <laughs> I don't know. It was that Flint? But the Fembots legitimately gave me nightmares. Oh, those are the ones that that their face came oh, off. Yeah, yo, you know what? I don't think that's a good question. Yeah, I legitimately had actual nightmares from I, the I do remember them being like little creepy to to me as well. Yeah. Um, like I won't use one of those episodes. Like I now now what I might use some yeah, bionic woman. No, 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 no. I was about to say they must have started because I feel like they no, they, they were part. They were part of the six million dollar bionic woman crossover uh, of uh, uh, line as far as dolls. Yes, because I think my sister actually had one. They were part of the. the they were part of the. Oh man, they, they're the pictures. I can't look at the pictures. No, uh, <laughs> I mess with the fembots. Yeah, they're, they're the pictures. I'm. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to scar you. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think they were on the uh, Bionic Woman first. So they were never on the $6 million man? At least that's what it's showing. Interesting. Here. Yeah, here in the Fembots in Las Vegas is the third episode of season three. I know it was one of two seasons. Uh, season three of the Bionic Woman. Mm. Well, obviously, apparently I can't use a $6 million man episode with them. Now, I might use one of the $6 million man episodes where... uh. Steve Austin goes undercover and like he has a mustache. I don't remember. Like he would put on a mustache because he was undercover. I don't remember that. My name is Austin Stevenson and I am a politician here to check on what's going on. First of all, how can you already have one of the flyest spy names ever as Lee Majors. <laughs> right. Lee Majors as Steve Austin. It don't, it don't sound like it should be the other way around. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, right. don't, like, don't make sense. I feel like Lee Majors might be a stage name. No. It's, that's his name? I'm pretty sure that's, that's his, his actual name. name. Now you got me looking at All right. Here you go, come back. I feel like we're drifting, drifting into... Is, 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 in the more interesting territory. Yeah. Um, Lee Majors. Oh, wow, it's not his name. It, that, that, it sounds like a stage name. That is not his name. 
What's his name? You will never. Nope. Yes, I sure won't. Name. And I'm not even going to try. Lee Major. But I bet I'm I'm not going to be surprised when you tell me. He was born in 1939. Okay. He was born Harvey Lee Geary. That, yes. That, that this all makes very, very, very much sense to me. Wow. Mm-hmm. I would have never called that. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like his Christian name was Lee Majors. I guess so. Yeah. I guess. All right. So there you go. I'll watch Spider-Man 2, and then I'll find an episode of the... No, you gotta watch the first Spider-Man. Uh, uh, the first Amazing Spider-Man. Because it's... I thought you wanted me to watch the second one. No, it's the first one that's good. Okay, I'll watch the first one, and then I'll get you an episode of the $6 million man that doesn't have Bigfoot. It doesn't have... um. Well, apparently none of the Fimbos were on that. And but but he will be in disguise though. But you say it's a good one. That I think is a solid example of the six million dollar man. Okay. And I guarantee you there won't be that many bionics. But it's I'm just sure. no, no, but, and, it, it never is. And what what there is doesn't show up to the right, last five. Right. Years. Most of it's just cool ass Lee Majors going around and, and doing stuff. Like doing stuff, investigating. He's investigating. I know. All right. So there you go. It's interesting when you think about it, because again, when I was doing these clips, that he had the bionic eye, the bionic arm, and in the, the legs, in the bionic legs, yeah. which made him run super fast. Mm -hmm. Yet, sixty miles an hour. To show him running fast, right? It was in slow motion. It's it's one of the greatest innovations <laughs> in special effects ever. Because as I was watching these clips, I was like, this is really slow. You remember, do you remember maybe the last, because remember they said they had six TV, and then we really do have to go ahead and finish up. with them. They had like six TV movies, but do you remember one of the later ones when his son got involved? No. Yeah. Okay. I never watched any. Any of the TV of movies? movies? You just, you weren't. No. You, you you weren't see you weren't a real fan. Okay. They showed in one of the later ones, at least one of them, his son is bionic as well. But because his son had newer bionics, mm -hmm. and it was like the far future of like 1992, they used special effects and they showed his legs moving real fast, mm -hmm. and then they used the original effects with Steve Austin <laughs> with the slow mo. <laughs> But somehow it worked. Steve Austin looked faster. Well, because the special effects are a little bit better now. Dude, you do the slow motion and you play that music? That's what it is. It, it, that's it, all the special no, effects you mean. And you hear And then he's got the one eyebrow popping. Come on, man. Come on, man. We are children once again. Dude, they said we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the Dude, I was like five years old. I was like, science is the greatest thing ever. We can make him bigger, fast, stronger, faster, faster. Oh, my God. I was like, science is the best. That was the closest we had to a superhero, ladies and gentlemen. Man, in the 70s. 1999, we're going to live on the moon? 
oh, this, oh, this is it right here. I'm so happy to be alive when I'm alive. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. I watched the show faithfully. Ah. I watched the show faithfully. All right. Ask me the question. Well, all that being said, Vincent, we know you would recommend the $6 million man. Would you recommend the liberation of Elvin Jones? You know what? With all of the technical faults and production issues that we have discussed, I honestly believe the story is strong enough to warrant the hour and 40 minute investment. So I would, I would recommend it. And you? Uh, I think, I, I think it's a hard watch. Um, from a production value, as well as from, you know, the performance notwithstanding, the, the story will make you sick. Mm-hmm. You know about some of the things that happen in this in this movie, uh, so it's hard for me to say that it's worth watching. But I got to say, I probably would recommend mm-hmm. people sit and watching it. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily for the performances, but just for the history of it. Right, right. It, yeah, for the history of it, I would recommend seeing. Right, people sitting down with the liberation of L.B. Jones. All right. Two recs. There you go. Two recommendations, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the Fembots were also in Austin Powers. Yes. There you go. And I really like them in them. No, I don't like oh, hey. But at least I don't think their faces came off in Austin Powers. I don't know. I don't know. I remember like hey, we really do have to go. Like I didn't even want to talk about the Bigfoot thing and then come to find out Bigfoot wasn't actually Bigfoot. Remember Bigfoot was a robot that the aliens had planted? Oh, is it, was that the story? Like, I don't remember the yeah. storyline. I was I like, remember. I just, I, I just remember, like, yeah, this is, I remember it being really intense mm-hmm. at like five years old. Like, I was like, this is really too intense for me right now. Mm. I just remember it enough so that when the Venture Brothers reference it, right. got all the you got all the references, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. All right. All right. Before we tell you about what we're going to be reviewing next week, ladies and gentlemen, and our very special guests. Yes. Next week, I invite you to check out the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. Go to MichelleMission.com where you can hit swag and check out all of the cool um, designs and gifts that we have available to you by way of our good friends at T Public. Also, you can leave us a voicemail. Give us a call at 215-867-9666. That's 215-867-9666. Tell Vincent and Len what is on your mind. Or if you feel so inclined, leave us an email. Drop us an email at michellemission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can follow the Michaud Mission on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Michaud Mission. Subscribe to the Michaud Mission on YouTube. Thank you for each and every one of you who subscribe. We get more and more subscribers every day. YouTube.com slash Michaud Mission. And wherever you check out our glorious podcast, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and a review, especially if it's on Spotify or Apple, because that helps other people find our show. 
which is a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. We make podcasts work. All right. All also, right. next week, we are going to announce um, our next live screening. All right. Which will be coming up just in one month. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, so look forward to that news dropping next week. And don't forget, if you are a fan of Kindred, the Octavia Butler uh, masterpiece that has been adapted into an eight-episode miniseries on FX and Hulu, tune in this Thursday to Ripples in Time, our Kindred podcast live, as we will be reviewing episodes five and six of that series, 7 p.m. Eastern, Vince me, Ariel, Charlene, sitting down to have a conversation. Um, thank you for all of you that have been tuning into that show. Uh, and we've been having a great time bringing that scintillated conversation your way. All right. Next week on the Michelle Mission, Vincent, we have a very special guest as we are continuing our look at women in media here in Philadelphia. Yeah. So next week we are journeying to the halls of word radio w-u-r-d here hey for andrea lawful saunders selection a thin line between love and hate oh 1996 starring martin lawrence and lynn whitfield uh with our very special guest andrea lawful sanders of the source on word radio I believe it also features an extended performance by the king of R&B, Bobby Brown. I forgot. Is he in that movie? How did you forget that Robert Brown of the Massachusetts Browns is in this film? I totally forgot about it. I can't wait to be to re- be reminded of that when I watch this movie. Yes, yes. I can't wait for that. All right. Oh, I can't wait for next week. Okay. All right. Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. Mm-hmm.